Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. You know, that sound that we just heard, you know, everybody talking to each other and laughing and being together, I think that's what heaven's going to sound like. That every moment we have a chance to be with our friends, with our family members, with the people that we love and care about, and it's just great. I mean, turn to your neighbor and say, man, I really love being with you. I'm watching you. I'm trying to say, hey, yeah, I really love being with you. Today, we're going to talk about the conflict, the conflict that every disciple must win. Two weeks ago, we talked about the call. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. This was the admonition, this was the call to those men that, that ended up following him. And then later, and uh, we found out that last week that there was a cost to following him. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me. I, I love the fact that the discipleship and walking with God and knowing the Lord, and we put the limits on it, not him. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, anybody wants to follow me, anyone, you don't have to have the right pedigree or the right education or the right family or the right job or the right color skin or the right language, none of that, none of that. Anyone, anyone who wants to follow Jesus, he said, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so that whole idea of self-denial and picking up your cross is an expansion of the idea of the cost of what it costs to follow Jesus. And I said last week, and I really believe this, is that salvation is free. But to walk with God, it's going to cost you everything. And, and so, and the sooner we figure out that, the, the quicker and the easier we will begin to walk in a victorious life. Self-denial, picking up our cross is like a seed. As long as it stays out of the ground, it abides alone. As long as you stay isolated, as long as you stay in a place where it's all about you, you're going to abide alone. But if it will die, put it down into the grave. If we put it down into the dirt, cover it up. If it will die, the Bible says it will spring forth new life. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. And, and so self-denial and picking up our cross is about us planting that seed into, into the culture. Planting that seed into the kingdom. And really... Allowing Jesus to have all of your heart, not just a portion of it, have all of your heart. And so that's important. Today we're going to talk about the conflict. This is really about spiritual warfare. Because if you're a disciple of Jesus, number one, you're already familiar with it. You may not have known what to call it. You may not have known what you know, it is, but you're aware of it. I mean, when I went from just a reprobate, I mean, I, I could get away with all this kind of stuff. But once I came to Christ, it seemed like karma was following me. I know we're not supposed to say that in church. But you know what I mean. Felt like I was getting punished, you know, or felt like I was in trouble, or felt like God had his finger on me, or I couldn't get away with anything anymore. And, uh, but now, all of a sudden, that I got saved, uh, you know, life began to take a different measure. And so, so, I have four thoughts today I want to talk to you about. Number one, the first thought is this, is that we are at war and we must engage. We are at war and we must engage. Every one of you, whether you think this or not, you woke up this morning in a war. It is a war of thoughts. It's a war that's going on in your mind. 
It's a war that's going on around you with some of the people that you love and care about the most. It's a war that really seeks to get you away from Jesus, get you off the mark, and isolate you. And so the Bible says in John 10.10 that this enemy that we have, the warfare that we're engaged in, the thief, that's what he calls him, does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we have an enemy. He is a thief. And what does he want to do? He wants to steal our lives from us. He wants to steal our joy, our peace, our life. He wants to steal our house. He wants to steal our car. He wants to steal everything that we have. He wants to steal it all. If he can't steal it, he wants to kill it. His objective is to take the life totally out of you. Kill, to steal, and to destroy. To destroy marriages, to destroy families, to destroy businesses, to destroy countries, nations. His objective is to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus said that he came that we might have life and then we might have it abundantly. So that then defines really the two sides. You got the devil and his cohorts who want to kill, steal, and destroy. You got Jesus and his kingdom who wants to give you an abundant life, who has already won the victory on your behalf, and who desires that you have a life that's beyond what you were singularly capable of and an abundant life. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 goes on to describe this enemy that we have. He says to the readers, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your enemy, then he names him, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We've talked about this, uh, my dad and I have, on several occasions, and I remember talking to him about spiritual warfare and about demons and about the, the devil, about all that, and I remember him snickering and saying, you believe in all that? I said, yes, I do. He said, I don't believe in the devil or haints or ghosts or demons or any of that kind of, that's ridiculous. And I said, well, you may not believe in them, but that doesn't mean they aren't real just because you don't believe in them. Yeah. And, and so we need to be sober. We sort of get drunk on the culture. We get drunk on religion. We get drunk on uh, you know, uh, the way our life is going, and we need to sober up a little bit. Sober up and be vigilant. In other words, start watching. Watching what's going on in the culture. Watching what's going on in the church. Watching what's going on in our community. Watching what's going on among our friends. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Because our enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He's seeking who may be devour. You can hear him out there. You can hear uh, him roar on the 6 o'clock news at night. You can hear him roar in the culture. You can hear him. And, uh, and he's out there. He's like a wolf. You know, a wolf never attacks the entire herd of sheep. But what he does is he follows close behind, and he waits and watches. He's sober. He's vigilant. He has an a objective. That objective is, is to wait till that sheep comes out of the herd and as it comes out of the herd, for whatever reason, isolates itself, is injured, is hurt, uh, maybe comes out of the herd because it's rebellious, wants to go its own way, not the way of the herd, he's waiting. He's waiting for that opportune time and that moment that he can take to task and destroy your life, kill you. That's what he's waiting on. 
And that's why it's so important that we be a, a community, a, a group, a flock uh, of people. Why? Because we can protect one another in numbers. And we can watch out for one another. We can be vigilant for one another. We can pray for one another. We can correct those who are unruly and bring them back into the fold. And, and so, so we got a, an enemy. That enemy's name is the devil. Several months ago, the Lord gave me this scripture, and he gave it to me in two parts. The first part he said to me was this. I was praying, and the Lord said this. He said, there is a great and effective door that is open for you, Joe. I was excited about it because we just had started our new campus and, uh, over, on, uh, over in Highland Park, and, you know, things were beginning to change in our staff and our, our church. And, I mean, I was so excited about all the opportunities that God was giving us and God had for us. And so I was thinking and meditating on that, thinking about that, yeah, effective doors open for us in this community, fantastic. Then he said, yeah, and there's a second part to this verse, and there are many adversaries. When the enemy attacks us, my history is that I'm seldom ready for him to come in that way. I'm ready for him. He's going to attack me against my marriage. I'm ready for that. I mean, I'm built up. I'm strong in the Lord. I'm, you know, we, Nancy and I have been through too much to, hey, say goodbye, to kiss that goodbye. So it's treasured. We're on it, right? And I never think about uh, so much about my children. I've trained them well. But the grandchildren, they're not yet ready. So, man, I think about how the devil might try to attack them, might attack us through them, all that. He seldom ever comes in the way that you expect him to come. And, uh, and so that's why we got to be sober. We got to be vigilant because we got to be on the watch because he's not going to come at an hour that you expect. The thief doesn't come at the noonday and say, I'm going to rob your house. He comes at night when nobody's stirring, nobody's up. He comes in by stealth. Here's some of the ways over the years that I feel like I've engaged or been involved in spiritual warfare, unusual sicknesses and infirmities. Marital and family discord. Not every time you have a fight in your family is it because something rational. In fact, most of the times it's irrational because there's been a miscommunication or a, a judging of the motives or something's gone on here that's, that's keep skewing people away from the, from the issue or the truth. Being slighted and feeling left out being under stress, unreasonable expectations that we have for ourselves or that we have for others. Where did those expectations come from? Well, you think, well, you know, so I, listen, every thought, negative thought that you have is not generated in your mind or in your heart. It comes from outside. It comes from outside. And so we have to be vigilant, sober about all that. Unrealistic expectations that we make on ourselves, make on others. These are all ways that adversaries have, you know, have, have tried to rob, steal, kill, and destroy from my own life. And I'm sure that every one of you could add one or two or three things. Here's the thing is at some point you got to get tired of getting run over by the bus, right? Get tired. I mean, it's like a, many times we're like a pigeon out in the road eating whatever's there on the road and, and don't recognize that the bus is coming to run over us. And so at some point, you got to say, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You ever get that way? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
right? It's time to make a stand, time to stand up. So we have an enemy. We are in a warfare. Uh, back in March of 2017, seven years ago, I live up around North Park, at Walnut Hill and Central in that area. And so I was driving down about, it was probably around 8 o'clock on that Sunday morning. I'm going to preach. I've got my message ready. I'm ready. And I'm going to preach. And I'm coming down 75. It's a Sunday morning, a little bit before 8. There's nobody on the road, nobody. It's quiet. So I'm just zooming down the road, probably running 75, maybe more. And, uh, and as I look up the road, uh, there is sort of a pile of four or five or six bricks in the road. Uh, and uh, they're particularly on the right shoulder and in the right lane of this three-lane road out there. And, and so I'm, I'm, hey, I'm sober, I'm vigilant, I'm watching that. So what I do? Put on my blinker and move to the left one lane. Now I'm in the center lane. I'm going to avoid those bricks that are on the ground. And as I'm going up under the Mockingbird overpass, coming south, and I'm going up underneath it, when I come out on the other side, boom, explosion. I mean, I thought the whole car exploded. It was the loudest sound. There's glass all in my face and all on me. And it was like the, there was an explosion. And as I kind of slowed down a little bit, trying to get my wits exactly what happened, and this was what my car looked like. And you notice the hole in my windshield? This is what was stuck in the back seat of my car. I wrote on there, I, I, I kept it, I didn't get rid of it, I wrote on there, attempted murder. <laughs> 03-12-2017. When the Bible says the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy, it's serious about it. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Here's what was interesting about it. You say, well, you know, unusual sickness, all that could have a rational reason. But let me just, let me just say this. If there's a mathematician in here, I would love for them to calculate the odds of my truck changing lanes, driving 75-plus miles per hour underneath the overpass that is 25 feet tall, and somebody throwing a brick at the trajectory that it will hit my windshield precisely at the moment that it comes out from under the overpass? and come that close to my head without hitting me in the head? How many of you could say the odds are pretty slim that could really happen? I drove down to the Knox-Henderson exit. I stopped on the side of the road on the right side of the shoulder, put my emergency flashers on, and I shook the glass out of my hair and off my face, and I thought, I looked in the back seat, I saw the brick, I grabbed the brick, I'm going to put this in that guy's face. That's what I thought. Now, that's how the devil got me off of loving him. I'm going to put him on the ground, and I'm going to throw this on his face, see what he thinks about that. So I head back up there. I make the U-turn, go right back up the road, head back up there, get up there. There is nobody on the road. Now, we're talking two, three minutes after this happened. There's nobody around. There's no cars around. There's no people around. There's nothing around. I can see where all the bricks have been 
pried up from the walk. But nobody was there. I called 911. I said, somebody just tried to kill me. They started taking all this information. I said, why are you taking the information? The guys leave. I don't know where it went. I said, well, we've had several other calls about this. Well, uh, yeah. They never found him. They assume it was some homeless man. Well, he's got a home, but it's hell. Might as well tell you the truth. It was a devil. And you say, well, was it a real devil? I don't know. I don't know if it was just a demonic spirit inhabiting a mentally ill person who was lived on the street or if it was just a devil. But you take the odds of that happening and you've got to say, it wasn't a natural event. And the objective was to kill me. Keep me from, hey, that was a great message that morning. Yeah, yeah. And so spiritual warfare is a real thing. It's a real thing. And it's something that we have to engage in. Paul writes to the Romans, he said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No matter what kind of stuff that you go through spiritually, nothing can separate you from God's love. He says there tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. None of that can separate you from the love of Christ. Paul outlines his own issues in spiritual war. He says the Jews five times... Uh, he received 40 stripes minus one. So five times he was beaten 39 times, 39 uh, lashes. He says from the Jews, three times he was beaten with rods. In 2 Corinthians 11, he said he's, once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. A day and a night he spent in the deep. He was in perils often. And he lists all these perils. He was, he was weariness, toil, sleeplessness, hunger, thirst, fastings, cold, hot, nakedness. Besides all these things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for the churches. He lived in a moment and a time because of what he was engaged in in a very high level of spiritual warfare. Some of this is, is some of this natural, maybe some of this may be. But what you find out is the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And even if it's natural, he'll pile on to make it supernaturally bad for you. So my first thought this morning is that we're in the war and we have to engage. My second thought this morning is whoever takes the high ground will win the war. Whoever takes the high ground will win the war. The Bible says in James 4 that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Every process that I know about, that I've been through, in growing as a disciple of Jesus, the first step is always humility. Just humbling yourself. Humbling yourself in your marriage, humbling yourself in your workplace, humbling yourself in the church, humbling yourself with your small group, humbling yourself, being vulnerable, being open. Sometimes that vulnerability and openness, people will seize on it. The devil will try to, try to shut you up. He wants to shut you up, shut you down, and forget your voice. If he can just quiet, he knows you're going to heaven, so he knows he can't steal your salvation, but what he can do is just shut you down. If you let him. So we won't let him. So you got to start with humility and resisting the devil. 2 Corinthians 10 says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God. Now watch these weapons. For the pulling down something up high, 
that we're pulling down to low. That's why humility is so important because humility is lowering yourself before you have to be humiliated, pulled down. Okay? So, so our spiritual weapons then, right, right, are for the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to obedience to Christ and His Word. So learning how to take authority over our thoughts, how to take them captive, how to recognize a thought that is an enemy's thought for us, take that arrow, turn it around, shoot it right back at him. We've got every disciple has to learn how to do that, take those thoughts captive. And taking the high ground is the first and the most important step in really winning the battle of spiritual warfare. Well, you might be saying to me this morning, you know, Pastor, I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. And, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, it just hasn't been that bad. And, no, it's been terrible. It's been like you've been run over every day by a bus. Say, so, well, some days you have a reprieve, but most days you feel like you're left out. You feel isolated. There's an epidemic of loneliness I mean, you feel like you're working, 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 and never anybody ever paying attention. You have all these feelings and all these thoughts. You have to begin to order these thoughts and be able to reject the ones that are self-destructive and receive and embrace the ones of the life that God has for you. Wouldn't it be nice if we could hire somebody to do that for us? Like if you had a little app. Just pull up your cell phone and just, you know, put in the app. Today, I feel lonely. You know, would you please fight the devil of loneliness for me? <laughs> AI won't do that for you. They won't do that for you. You cannot hire a mercenary to fight your battle. You just can't do it. I mean, don't you wish you could, like husbands and wives, you know, when you get into a vigorous discussion about your marriage, when you love, just say, hold on, baby, and come over here. And just hire. Let me get something. I'm going to give you $100 today if you'll come over here and talk to my wife. You have a great marriage with your wife. Would you come over here and just, look, talk to her for me, all right? No. <laughs> you can't, Matthew, you can't hire somebody to do that for you. You can't hire somebody to fight the devil for you. You cannot hire somebody to mediate spiritual warfare for you. You can't get a mercenary to do any of that stuff for you. You have to do it yourself. You got to take those thoughts captive. You can't hire somebody else to come in and lasso them for you and pull them out of your brain. You have to be able to take your thoughts captive. Take that high ground. Look at this picture behind me. It's the most famous picture of World War II. You'll recognize it immediately. These are the United States Marines. After nearly 40 days in the bloodiest battle of World War II, they finally took the high ground, Mount Suribachi in Iwo Jima. That opened up the Iwo Jima airfields so that bombers could now bomb the Japanese mainland. It was the most decisive victory and most strategic victory in the Pacific in World War II. 
And it only happened because a small number of very brave men decided that they were either going to die or take the high post. This is Mount Siribachi, the high spot. From that spot, they could strategically locate and destroy every enemy that was left on the island, everyone. You take this idea, you go back to 1863, a place called Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, in 1863, there was a battle there called the Battle of Gettysburg. It was an interesting battle because it, this battle, all Civil War uh, scholars will tell you, this was the turning point of the Civil War. The reason it was the turning point of the Civil War is because a very small band of Union soldiers stationed themselves on the high point of that battlefield called the Cemetery Ridge. And they stood there and they kept their ground. There was some of the most ferocious fighting in the Civil War to take that ridge back from them. The Confederate troops were unable to prevail. And from that battle forward, the Union Army always had the advantage. They took the highest place. 1876, an area in Wyoming completely uninhabited by Americans. There's a little place, a little river called the Little Bighorn. And there were two Indian chiefs there that George Armstrong Custer and the whole 7th Cavalry decided they were going to go arrest and kill. Sitting Bull was one of them. Anybody remember the other one? Crazy Horse. So George Custer, believing that the 7th Cavalry was the most powerful cavalry force on the planet, decided that he's going to go after these two Native American chiefs. And when he pulled up at the Little Bighorn, they went down the Little Bighorn looking for where these Indians had encamped. And having found those places, they thought the battle was theirs until they looked on the side of the river on both sides. Sitting Bull had his troops on the high places. And they massacred this George Armstrong Custer and every one of the members of the 7th Cavalry. Killed them all. Why? Because they had the high places. If you're going to win at spiritual warfare, you've got to take the battle in the mind. You've got to take it. That's the high spot. You've got to take You've got to pull down those strongholds, those houses of thoughts. You've got to pull down that stuff. Pull it down. Pull down the every argument, everything that the devil is trying to kill, steal, and destroy. You've got to be able to pull that down. And if you're drunk on the culture, drunk on your uh, inability to get in the word, you won't be sober. You won't be vigilant. And you'll wake up one morning and wonder what happened to you. And I'll be honest, I've, I've woken up several mornings in my walk where I wonder, what the heck just happened? Right? You got to take those thoughts captive, obedient to Jesus Christ. So number two, thought number two is this, is who take, he who takes the high ground will win the war. Part number three is be strong and stand firm. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6 says, now I have a final word for you. Here's the final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Your strength doesn't come from your ability. It comes from what Jesus has already done in his ability, right? Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. So we want to be strong and stand firm. Stand firm against his strategies. He has a strategy to beat you. Every one of you, it's not just the same uh, one-size-fits-all strategy. He's got a different strategy for me than he does for you, Kiwi. He's a different strategy. And it's time for us, me, Kiwi, and everybody, every one of the rest of us here, to stop letting the devil lie to us. Stand firm. Be strong. Be strong is a command. It's not based on you feeling strong. <laughs> I most of the time had to be strong in my life. I, I didn't feel all that strong. <laughs> but we've got to be strong. So he says, put on God's armor so you'll stand firm. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms or the heavenly places. So we're fighting a war that's elevated. It's in the highest places, the heavenly realm. We're fighting that kind of war. And, and so most people are just not fighting at all. They put a period right there. We are not fighting, period. But there's no period there. It says we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against these rulers in the unseen world, in the unseen world. Wouldn't it be great if the devil's minions wore a uniform? So when they walked in the back door, he said, there he is, right? But what I've noticed is he doesn't wear a uniform. He has no badge. You don't know he's there. And many times he uses innocent people to do his work. Therefore, since we're fighting in this heavenly realm, engaged in this spiritual warfare, we should put on every piece of God's armor so we'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, we'll still be standing firm. Every one of you has one or more times in your life would be called the time of evil. It's the opportune moment, the opportune time. When you're sick, you're tired, you're hungry, you're beat up, that's when he comes. It's not on your strongest day that he shows up and said, I'm going to fight you today. It's on the weakest days that he shows up coming in from behind you, a place that you didn't think was going to be a problem. So we got to put on this armor. Stand your ground, he says in verse 14. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. So we gird up our loins. We, we put on this belt. It's a metaphor. It's not uh, you don't have this invisible belt you're putting on. But you're girding yourself up with the truth. What is the truth? The truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ was, that he died, that he was buried, that he's resurrected from the dead, and he is alive forevermore, and that he has won the victory, and I belong to him. That's the truth. You gird yourself up with that truth, right? And the body armor, he says, of God's righteousness. And it's not something you've done that's put you in right standing with God. It's what Jesus did. So we get in him. So we have his righteousness. And for shoes, everybody look down at your shoes. He says, for shoes, put on salvation. No, excuse me. Put on the peace 
that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. So you have on the shoes of the good news. The good news that Jesus is alive. The good news, like Jesus, I only say what I hear the Lord saying, and I only do what I hear God, the Father, doing, what I see Him doing. And so we have those shoes on, that peace that we belong to Him, that nobody can shake us, that nothing and no one can snatch us from His hand, the peace that only God can give. is not determined on how good a person I am or how well I perform. It's totally determined on what He's done for me, and I have that peace. Verse 16 says, in addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith. The faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The faith that we walk by, not by the sight. It's that kind of faith. The faith that is the substance of things that we hope for is the evidence of things we cannot see. Without this kind of faith, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That kind of faith. And so when the devil shoots a destructive arrow at you, you've got the faith to believe God is for me who can stand against me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you're standing firm in the peace of that, but you also have that shield of faith to deflect those fiery darts. Boom. Verse 17 and he says, now put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Salvation is a helmet. So we put this helmet on our head to protect our mindset, to protect our thought life, as a filter to keep out all the lies that the enemy is telling us that we have a tendency to hook onto and believe and embrace so that we see like a sieve it, it, it separates out those thoughts that the enemy has towards us and it brings in the thoughts that God has for us. Thoughts for our welfare. Thoughts for our good. And so you put on that helmet, that salvation. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. God has good in store for me. He, he is good and doeth good. God loves me. I am a son. I am a daughter of the Lord. I have been invited into the banquet table of God. I am the head and not the tail, and God wants me to see me prosper even as my soul prospers. That's the, that's the helmet of salvation. I'm saved, and I belong to God, right? And then finally, he says, pray in the Spirit at all times and every occasion. Stay alert. There it is again. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So these are the weapons of spiritual warfare. It begins with humility, right? So humility can be a real, a real powerful weapon, a defensive weapon, but a very, very powerful weapon. But courage, courage to confront the demonic, to sober up and say, I'm done getting run over. Truth that puts the light into the darkness. God's righteousness is what we got exchanged to us at the cross. We exchanged our dirty rag righteousness for his pristine, perfect righteousness. Peace. We got the good news of a victorious king. Faith. It's a shield about us. Salvation keeps us thinking saved thoughts. The word of God is a sword against our adversaries. And praying in the spirit. Staying alert. Staying persistent, staying engaged. We won't let down. We won't back up. We won't give up the ground God's given us.
See, the word of God is a sword to lop off the head of every lying word. The devil doesn't say anything that's not a lie. That's all he can do because he's a liar. And we want to lop his head off when he comes around us lying. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. Just want to remind you, you can't take the sword and cut your husband's head off. You can't do that. When you're mad at him or mad at her, you're mad at the wrong person. Let me say it again. I know that was, that was hard for some of you. Some of you think that your husband is a devil. He's not. But when you're mad at him, you're mad at her, you're mad at the wrong person. The devil is the one you need to be mad at. Because he's lied, he's stolen, he's destroyed. Trust, whatever it is. You can get help and you can get all that restored. But it's not going to help you to fight flesh and blood. It's going to make it worse. So quit fighting flesh and blood and start fighting the devil. Does that make sense? Yeah. You can do more in 20 minutes praying for your husband than you can in 20 hours talking to him. He's, he's a knucklehead, man. He didn't get it. He's trying to get it. He wants to get it. But after about five minutes, he's out of words. He didn't know what to say. Just used every word he had and gone. I don't mean to let you in on our personal life, but <laughs> since she's not here. <laughs> Those are the weapons you were. Take a picture of that with your camera. For, take, put that back up there, will you? Yeah, take a picture of that with your camera. Meditate on that. Here's the fourth thought, the last thought. Jesus has won the victory. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made it a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In 2 Corinthians 15.57, he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's already won the victory. Here's what's interesting. You know, if you go back to the Old Testament and you look at the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt, and they're, they're, they're in bondage. Here's what God says to Moses. Tell the children of Israel this, that I'm giving them the promised land. It's going to be theirs. I'm giving to them. I promised it to their forefathers, their ancestors, and I'm going to make good on that promise that they are going to inherit. The, it's theirs. It's theirs. I'm giving it to them. There was a catch. Not from God, but for us. He'd given it to us, but they had to fight for every square inch. Now, I can't say that enough. They had to fight for every square inch. And so if you're like, I'm like a lover, Pastor Joe, I'm not like a fighter, you're in big trouble. Okay, you're just going to have to learn how to fight in a lovely way. Right? Because you can't hire a mercenary to come fight to fight for you. Amen? Amen? Okay. So what have we learned today? Number one, we learned that we are in a war and we must engage. Number two, we've got to take the high ground, the mental war. We've got to win that one. Number three is we've got to be strong and stand firm. Our strength comes from the Lord. He's given us spiritual weapons that you took a picture of that we can fight. And finally, Jesus has already won the victory. It's one. All we're doing is appropriating the victory for something that's already been won. Amen? Amen. Are you glad you came today? Yes. 
Okay, fantastic. Pastor Matthew, are you ready to close? Let's all stand together. Come on. That's a fantastic word, Pastor Joe. Thank you so much. Well, I'm not sure if you're glad or not you came, but we sure are glad that you came to church today. God did some great things in our hearts and lives and starting a journey for many of us that uh, is gonna carry us on to completion. We're thankful for that. I just wanna remind you that uh, your worship guide has all the instructions you need to get connected to a small group, to get connected to things that are gonna help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Before you leave today, however, we wanna make sure and give you an opportunity. You, you realize that you're in a fight, you're in a battle. You feel like you've been beat up, you're bloodied, and you don't know if you can make it. We don't want you to walk out of here discouraged today. We don't want you to walk out of here feeling hopeless. We wanna give you some hope, lay hands on you and pray for you. And so I'd like at this time to invite our ministry leaders forward. Carla, if you'll please come up to the front, our small group leaders, Daniel and Christine, if you guys come up here. And I want you guys to come help pray for us with some people that need our prayers and our encouragement. Bobby and Amy, and Billy and Shauna, would you guys come up and help lead in prayer for us? If you need prayer today, we want you to take advantage of these godly men and women who are ready to lay hands on you and pray for you. Don't walk out of this building without getting some support and some encouragement. That's, in fact, one of the reasons why the church exists, so that we can stand together and do this life together in his name. And if you're like, you know what? I'm ready for battle. I've got my marching orders. I know what to do. I know where I'm going. I'm ready to do it. That we bless you in his name. So let's just pray as we close out this service. Father, would you just take the words that have been preached and the lessons that we've learned today, take them deep into our hearts. Help us to apply them to our lives to walk out of here with faith, ready to fight the battle and do what you've called us to do. We welcome your presence in your leadership, Holy Spirit. Help us to do what we've learned today in your precious name. And now, Lord, I speak your blessing over each and every person in this room. Strengthen them, encourage them, embolden them, empower them to live the godly life that you've created them to live. Bless them now this week in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, we'll see you later at small group this week or we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great rest of your week, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper in today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community, as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas. God bless.